Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. It's, um, it's good to be here today. Those of you who don't know, my name's Kurt, Kurt Bradford. I used to be a pastor here. They invited me to leave several years ago, and I, I still keep popping back up like a bad penny every now and then. You know, I'm here, so um, Joe's doing great. He's, he's improving. Uh, if you'll just listen to, I started to say if he listened to his doctor, he would just listen to Kathy. He'll be okay, you know, so y'all, y'all just keep praying for him because he does love you very much and we love him very much. He's my pastor as well as yours. And so we're praying for him that he'll get, uh, get better and get well uh, and everything like that. I want to talk to you today about uh, something I believe, this is Kurt's, my name's Kurt, Kurt's opinion. I think most of us are too busy in what we do. Matter of fact, that's what uh, Melinda just told me a minute ago. She said, we just did busy as we, yep, that's good, that's good. But I, I, I think we have perhaps marginalized a spiritual discipline or practice that is probably one of the most helpful things we do. But we've, we've kind of uh, made it where, you know, oh, yeah, every now and then I'll do that. And so that's why I've, I've entitled what I want to talk to you today about as pause, P-A-U-S-E, not P-A-W-S, P-A-U-S-E, pause, which means to stop, to not keep going where you're going, but just to stop and pause a minute. And the, the uh, catalyst for this message was two scriptures that I read uh, a couple of weeks ago when the Rogers and, and Joyce and I were in North Carolina. By the way, it got up to 72 one morning. Envy is sin. Envy and jealousy are sin. Don't do that. No, it, it was wonderful. I get up every morning, and I have a pretty much have a regular discipline of my life, which is I start the day in, in the Word, in, in, in God's Word. And so I would get up and, and go out on the porch and look up on Grandfather Mountain or some of the other just wonderful stuff I love. And, and I was reading, and... A, a, the scheduled reading, I, I, I follow a, a process, but that scheduled reading for that day, the first one was in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. And I want to read it to you out of the ESV and then also out of the New Living Translation. The ESV reads this way, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Well, when you read that in the New Living Translation, let me just, this is a little side lesson. The difference in the ESV and the New Living Translation is the ESV is a word-for-word translation of the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. The New Living Translation is what they call a thought-for-thought. In other words, they take the big idea and try to communicate it. But here's what they did in the New Living Translation. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. See, now, the word that uh, is translated lawful there means within the bounds of the culture. It doesn't necessarily mean legal or illegal. It's within the bounds of the culture. And if, you've know, if you remember any of your history, you know, back from in school, whenever you were there, uh, the Romans ruled the world pretty much, uh, at least in Europe and everywhere. And Corinth was in Greece 
So it was Roman rule there. All the people who were in charge were Romans. And the Roman culture, uh, this is my, my description of it, was fairly decadent, which means pretty much anything goes. Anybody can do whatever they want to do. Now, they couldn't curse the emperor and stuff like that, but they could pretty much do anything. It was, it was, that's why I love the way that, the, that this translation is allowed. I'm allowed to do anything, which means they were free. So if, if you wanted to uh, cheat on your wife, you could do it. If you wanted to be gay, you could be gay. If, if you wanted to worship a foreign god, you could worship a foreign god. I mean, you were free to do those things because they had very few laws, particularly about morality. Matter of fact, the context of Paul's writing is when he's talking about sexual immorality and worshiping idols. Pretty much everybody in Corinth, they say, would, would have a little stack of gods that were in their house. And if you wanted to worship them, you were free to worship those idols. And to be honest with you, there, there's somewhat, Kurt's opinion again, there's somewhat a similarity to our world today. There's a lot of things that, you know, you can do. But Paul makes a wonderful point of saying, look, it's like, can I do this? And, and well, yes, you can do that. However, it's not helpful or it's not beneficial or it doesn't build up. And what is the opposite of building up? It tears down. So that's what he's saying. Say, yeah, there's a lot of things you're free to do. Here in America, you are free to do a lot of things. And you're free to choose how you spend your day. You're free to choose. I mean, now you may have a certain portion where you go to work and you have to do what your boss wants you to do and all of that, obviously. But you're pretty much free to do what you want. If you want to eat ice cream at 10.30 at night and you actually have some, you can now, you, you don't have the power to control the results of eating ice cream at 10.30 at night. And listen, let me tell you, when you're 75 years old and you eat ice cream late at night, about 3 in the morning you're going, I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't mean to do it. I, I'm so sorry. You know, so you're free to do a lot of things. Now, you're saying, you know, just, just so you'll know, I don't know whether you're watching or not, Pastor Joe, I hate this thing. If I had hair, I'd pull it down over the top of it, but I don't. When I was in the mountains and I was reading, I came across these verses. And as I'm, I'm pausing to reflect on it, I said, well, you know, he must be talking about sin, which it is true. You can sin if you want to. You're free to sin. You're not, to, you're not free to escape the results of sin, but you are free to sin. You're free to do all that. And I'm thinking about it. I say, well, yes, Lord, you know, I, I agree. I'm free to sin, and, uh, I, you know, I don't want to. And, you know, and I did all that. And then I paused. And I was thinking, is this just about sin and it occurred to me that he may be talking about things other than sin. How about if he's just talking about 
normal habits that we have that are not necessarily sin, but they're not very helpful. They don't really help us a lot. They don't help anybody a lot. They're just what we do because they become habits. You know, habits are those things that you do repeatedly. And then after a while, you begin to think, this is what I do. It's those things when somebody says, why are you doing that? And you go, well, that's what I always do. And what Paul is saying is that there's a time in your life where you need to think about those things, those habits, those practices. Not just if they're sin, obviously you want to repent of it, confess it, and replace it with a godly behavior. But if it's just some way you've chosen to live, but it's not helpful, then you probably need to take a look at it every now and then to consider, is, is this habit or is this practice actually helpful? For I, I'll give you an example. Joyce and I get to travel a lot, and uh, whenever we travel outside of the Charleston area, we, we go to church on Sunday morning. And we typically pick the church by whatever church we're nearest to around 11. There's a lot of places still do 11 o'clock service, and that's where we go to church. Well, now, that's a regular practice of ours. It's not like we wake up Sunday morning, and if we're in Columbia, and I've spoken somewhere Saturday night, we wake up Sunday morning. Joyce and I don't have a discussion saying, do you think we ought to go to church today? We don't, because we, we go. That's a regular practice and habit for us. Another habit is I meet with two other pastors every Friday morning from 9 till noon. And I've been doing it now for 27 years. Now, obviously, when we're not in town, we don't. But if we're in town, I meet with Marshall Blaylock, who's pastor of First Baptist downtown, and Tom Brown, who's pastor at James Island Baptist in James Island. That's, that is a regular practice of mine. If we're in town, I'm somewhere with those guys having breakfast. And we're processing life and doing life. That's what I'm talking about, regular practices. You know, if somebody says, hey, matter of fact, when pastors call, these days a lot of younger pastors call and want to talk. I don't know why. One fellow told me that the reason he called me because he knew I wasn't going to screw things up too bad. I'm, I'm not going to put that on my resume anywhere, but I mean, that, that, that's what it was. But I get a lot of calls from pastors, and I'll have them say, hey, listen, are you free Friday morning? No, I'm not. Sorry. Friday morning, I'm, I'm with Marshall and Tom. That's what I do. That's my regular practice on Friday morning. And so I'm suggesting to you that you probably have things like that, like you always do this or you always do that or, you know, or whatever. And I'm suggesting to you that as a, as a disciple of Jesus, now if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, I'll hang around after the service and I'll talk with you about how you can be a disciple of Jesus, how you can be saved, be born again, go to heaven, and be a disciple of Jesus. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, I recommend to you that you regularly pause and reflect on how you have organized your life. I do this on Tuesday, I do that on Thursday, I do this on Sunday, and or whatever, whatever those habits and practices might be. Now, why should you do that? Some time ago, uh, I was influenced by uh, a philosopher who is a Southern Baptist pastor named Dallas Willard, and he said we are, he, was, he wrote, we are, I mean, I am an unceasing spiritual being 
with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And, and I, I kind of amended that just a bit to read this. We reflect and pause and study all of the practices of our lives on a regular basis because we are unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe and it matters how we live. Now that last phrase, it matters how we live, obviously for our witness to other people, for the good that we do and if we don't do it, it's not done. I mean, those sort of things. So it does matter for that. But it, it matters how we organize our, our days, how we organize our weeks, our months, our years, how we face the years that we have left in our, in our lives. I'm 75 now, so I've lived probably more years in the past than, than are in front of me. And so it's a legitimate question, how will I invest the rest of my life? What will I do with my life? We just uh, dropped my oldest uh, grandson, Jimmy, off at uh, Patterson Dorm at the University of South Carolina to begin his freshman year. Well, I was a pastor at Midland Park Baptist Church when he was born, and Heather too. You know, so, so all of those things, we say to him, now Jimmy, be think, he's looking at what are the plans for my life, what, how I'm going to organize my life, all those kind of things, and he's 18. I know he's probably not thinking, well, I wonder what it will be when I'm 64. He's not doing that, but he is thinking about what am I going to do? How am I going to study? How am I going to organize my life? He knows now, he knows the story of his papa, me. I was successful at flunking out of two colleges Back in the 60s, I, I flunked out of Furman University. I had a scholarship there and flunked out of it. And then I flunked out of the University of South Carolina. And they still call me an alumnus. Isn't that amazing? You know, you know send the money, buddy. That, you know, that's all right. But now he knows that study. And he, he was just kidding one day. And he said, you know, so that means I need to actually go to these classes. Yeah, you need to go to class. Don't just go to college. Go to classes and all that kind of stuff. But he's probably not thinking, what do I want to be when I'm 50? Or 75 or, or any of those kind of things and I and I recognize that you're probably you know the younger you are you're not you're not thinking what am I going to be when I'm you know as old as that old dude on the stage but you do need to think about what you're doing with your life now because it actually matters um, some of you that I've known for a long time know that uh, my dad was a veteran of World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. He was in all three of them. He was in an automobile accident when he retired and was paralyzed from the neck down. And then uh, as he was learned how to walk, you know, it would take, you know, take him a half an hour to get to the back door back there, but he could do it. But then he got cancer because he smoked those Chesterfields years ago with no filter, and, you know, so... He had cancer, he can't move, none of those kind of things. And the, the chemo treatments had just wasted him away, probably weighed about 70 or 80 pounds. And we, that's that darn sound team. It's the sound team doing that, it's not me. That's you back in the back, aren't you, Brandon? Uh, but anyway, I was over there one day, and Daddy was laying in his bed, and the only way he could get around was you had to carry him. So I went back to carry him. And he was staring at the ceiling, and I said, Dad, what are you thinking about? He said, well, I'm trying to think of what can I do with what I have left? Now, remember, he can't move. He's dying. 
Matter of fact, he died five days later. But he's still thinking, what can I do with what I have left? Now, I, I walked into that room. You know, I could speak. You know, I could actually run if I wanted to. I ate whatever I wanted to eat, whatever I wanted to eat. My dad couldn't do that. He had to have somebody carry him. And yet, he was still thinking, what can I do with what I have left? I, I think it is a valid thing for each one of us to ask, what can I do with what I have left? But there's a different way to answer that question if you are a disciple of Jesus. As a disciple of Jesus, it matters how you live. And I'm not just talking about, you know, you don't want to sin or any of that kind of stuff, but I mean how you live, whether you're a, a kind person, whether you're a grace-filled person, all of those things matter. Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So to be a disciple of Jesus is learning to live as Jesus would live if he were me. It's not, it's not just saying when somebody says, do you believe in Jesus? You say yes, and the next thing is you're going to go to heaven when you die. Once you become a Christian, once you become a disciple of Jesus, the next thing is learning to live as a disciple of Jesus. And I, I think this is a, a principle. Disciples of Jesus embrace all of his goals for life. For all of life. Jesus has goals for your life if you're a disciple of Jesus. When we ask people in the, in the baptismal pool, we say, who is Jesus? And the answer is, Jesus is Lord. And what that means is, he's, he's the boss. He's the absolute total authority. As a matter of fact, in, in Roman time, the time in, in Corinth, if you had been living in, when Paul lived in Corinth, he planted that church there, by the way. And he wrote that letter. If you'd been living in that time, it would, if a Roman soldier were to ask you, who is Lord? If you said Jesus is Lord, that was punishable by death. The only appropriate answer was Kaiser Kurios, which is Greek for Caesar is Lord. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you're not saying that he is my ticket to heaven, which he is. And that he is God Almighty, which he is. That he is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who became Jesus of Nazareth, which he is. You are saying he's the boss. He's the ultimate authority in my life. Now, if he's the ultimate authority in your life, then that means the goals of Jesus, the goals that he has for you, those are the goals for your life. Now, this doesn't mean you can't want to be a, a doctor, a lawyer, a plumber, a carpenter, whatever it is you want to be. But Christ's goals for your life are the goals for your life. So when you're evaluating, when you're pausing to reflect, it's not just do I like my job, do I like my house, do we need some new furniture, or whatever like that. It's am I pursuing the goals of Jesus 
for my life as a disciple of Jesus. You might say, well, what are the goals of Jesus? I'm going to name three. These are three I find in Scripture. The first one is a goal that's connected to what I call being. It's what kind of person you are. Romans 8, 29 says, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, do you remember in Genesis 1 when God created human beings? And he said, let us make man what? In our own image. And see, what, what's, what this means, what we're saying here is, when God saves you, when God causes you to be born again, when you become a Christian, that you become a disciple, and God's goal for you is called Christ-likeness, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to become more like Jesus. Now, that's not to say you know, a six-foot Jewish guy, you know, with sandals. That's talking about what kind of person he is. See, one of God's goals for you is what kind of person will you be? See, there's what kind of person you used to be, there's what kind of person you are, and then there's what kind of person will you be? Now, you'll be perfected, you know, whenever you meet Jesus in eternity. But for now, if you want to know what kind of person do I want to be, I think we look at what uh, God calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and what he's saying there is, here's the kind of person you want to be. You want to be the kind of person who has these things in their life. You're loving, kind, you know those, fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness faithfulness, self-control. That's what kind of person Jesus was. And that's the kind of person God wants you to be. And probably some of those are harder for us than others. For example, we live in a culture, I think, that really believes more in force than they do in love. And if you're considered a gentle person, you're normally discriminated against or you're normally considered to be weak. But those are qualities that Christ has called his people to be. So that's one of God's goals for you is what kind of person you will be. But the second kind of goal, I think, is, is what I call doing. There's, there's being and doing. There's who you are, and then there's what you do. And when he talks about doing, here's what Jesus says in the parable of the stewards. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What what he's telling us there is, here's what we do. We live a life of love. We, We bless others. We do good to those who deserve it and to those who do not deserve it. We, we live a life that is just filled of blessing other people because we are blessed. And that's what we do. We don't serve in order to be rewarded. We serve because we are blessed. And we do, the way we live is not, we're not trying to earn heaven. We've already been given heaven by the grace of God. God's grace saved you. But we do good not to be saved, but because we are. 
are saved. And that's Christ's goal is to change your thinking. I mean, your, your doings. And he also wants to change your thinking, which is the third one that I want to suggest to you. That I think the Holy Spirit is at work in you to not just to change what kind of person you are and what you do, but the way you think, the way you consider, the way you value certain things. Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. And see, what he's saying here is it does matter how you think uh, about this or about that, about who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, about what is a successful life about how do you measure success. Uh, uh, all of those things, those are, those are ways of thinking. You know, if, if you've got a bumper sticker that says, the one with the most toys wins, and you believe that, you need to change the way you're thinking. Because it's entirely possible to have the most toys and lose. What matters is what kind of person you are, what you do with your life, and how you think, and what I'm suggesting to you is that you regularly need to pause and think about those things, to give some time to that. This morning, uh, my, one of my devotionals this morning <clears throat> was when Solomon became king after his father David died. And the Lord came to Solomon and he said, what would you like me to do for you? And Solomon said, I would like to have an understanding and discerning mind. What a great prayer. I pray this rather regularly. I have five grandchildren, and the youngest are still teenagers. But what I pray for them is not that they'll necessarily do this or do that. I pray that they will be able to discern what is good and right and true rather than what I need to do to avoid getting in trouble <laughs> teach me Lord show me that I may know what I do that's what that thinking is all about how do you think see it's, there's a point in time where you have to submit yourself to the teaching of Jesus to agree that his teaching is the absolute, total, unconditional truth. If Jesus says that it's better to forgive than to hold a grudge, it is better to forgive than to hold a grudge. If Jesus says that it's better to give than to receive, it is better to give than to receive. Non-negotiable. That's truth. And part of our life is adjusting to that. But how do you do that? <laughs> And, and I'm, I'm recommending a time where you pause and think about all of these things in your life and, and all of that. But there is a regular discipline, I think, that is needed. And, I, and this is my next note here, and that is a disciple regularly submits to God, resists the devil, and crucifies the flesh. Now, the most important one in there to me, I mean, they're all important. They're all scripture. But the most important one there is I submit to God. That's where I mentioned 
you know, saying Jesus is Lord. When you're doing that, that's not just stating a belief. That's stating the authority in your life. When you say Jesus is Lord, he's the authority. So I think because we are still in the flesh, because we still have to deal with sin. I read a great quote this morning from my buddy Greg Surratt over at uh, Seacoast. He says, God only called one perfect preacher. There are no perfect preachers. The only reason I tell you that is so that you know that I get this before y'all ever do. It's God saying, look at this, like he did on that porch in North Carolina. Look at the way you live. And it's a regular discipline to say, Father, I submit to you confessing Jesus is Lord. I resist the devil and I set my mind to resist the temptations that will come this day. I choose to crucify the flesh. My body will not determine right and wrong. Your word will. And I choose to love the, not the world, which doesn't mean you don't love humanity. It means the ways of the world are not your ways. We live according to the ways of the kingdom. We're servants of the king. We live according to the ways of the kingdom. So on a regular basis, submit to God, resist the devil, crucify the flesh, and love not the world. And then take a look at the way you live, your practices. One of the casualties of COVID, Kurt's opinion, one of the casualties of COVID is small groups and relationships. You know, I mentioned that group I meet every Friday morning. You know, th that group, they have permission to say, Bradford, what are you thinking? They have permission to say to me, you know, you're wrong, dude, you're wrong. I mean, and this, that kind of a relationship, somehow over COVID, one of the things that got lessened was our meeting together with three or four other disciples of Jesus to grow towards Christ-likeness. And so today, you wouldn't believe how many times I've asked somebody, well, tell me about your time with your small group. They say, oh, I got preschoolers at home. I don't have time for small groups. Or I've got this, I don't have time. Or I've got this, I don't have time. Listen, you don't have time not to have small groups. We really do need each other. We need people who will tell us the truth. So some suggestions I would make to you is that you decide today that you're going to regularly pause and reflect on the way you're living. I don't know how often you need to do it. Me, I need to do it every few months. You know, look to see whether, you know, this habit's good and, or practical or whether it's helping me become more Christ-like or not. You need to regularly an analyze all of your activities for that week. For example, if you say, look, I, I can't get up in the morning and read my Bible. I can't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. You say, well, what time do you go to bed? 11.30. Well, you could go to bed at 10.30. You understand what I'm saying? 
You see, what has to happen first is that you want to be more like Christ. That has to be the goal before you'll ever decide to get up a half an hour earlier. Those kind of things. Analyze the way that you live, whether you're in a small group. Also, are you serving somewhere? I heard that the children's folks were talking about serving. Are you, are you serving in some ministry of the church? Are, are you serving other Are you serving people who are not like you? Maybe even people who are exactly 180 degrees different than you. Are you serving them? Or do you only serve those people who deserve it? Might want to change that. Do you understand, understand what I'm saying here? And if you need some help on this, ask another friend to give you some advice. You know, here's some things that you might want to think about doing that. And then develop a plan and pray about it. Maybe get some other people to pray with you about it. And then begin adjusting your life. You start adjusting your life. Okay, well, I'm going to start going to bed earlier. Or uh, I'm going to go to church. How about this one? I'm going to go to River Bluff at 9.30 for worship. And at 10.30 or 11, whatever time we started, at 10.30, then I'm going to serve in the children's ministry. Or I'm going to go down to the homeless shelter, give out food. Whatever it is, you begin adjusting your life. Now, I want to tell you that what will happen, and this is based on my experience, so I hope I'm not just projecting. I find that I make commitments with 100% intention, and I'm going to do it. I am, I am all in. I don't go to Clemson, so that, but I'm all in anyway. And then it doesn't take that long before I've kind of slipped back, you know, and I'm not doing it. You know, if I'm up here, you know, we're marching for Jesus, we're marching. And before long, you know, it's like, it, 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 it's kind of like this, you know. Yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved. Going to heaven when I die. What happened to marching with Jesus? I don't know. Well, you know what happens? <laughs> This is what I think. And listen, by the way, it's hard for me to walk. Here's what happens. Right here. I'm going to serve Jesus with all my heart. I'm giving him everything. He's getting first thing every morning. Yes, sir. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. That's right. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, no. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Before you know it, you're over here. Now, you started over there. So if you notice, I didn't run over here. Would that only I could still run. <laughs> I wandered over here. See, that's how fully devoted disciples of Jesus wake up and find themselves less devoted, shall we say. Or devoted to so many things that he's getting the leftovers. What do you do when you find yourself, I mean, what do you do when that happens and you're going, oh no. You, some people fall on their face and beg for forgiveness and that's, that may be what God leads you to do. But let me tell you what the scripture says. Scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says, start over. You're going, 
Thank you. Thank you. You know what helps me to pause and reflect? Communion. Some of my closest friends in their churches, they do communion every Sunday. We do ours once a quarter, or I'm not sure what the full regular schedule is, but every, whether you do it once a quarter or you do it every Sunday, when you hold that wafer in your hand and you're, you're holding that cup, which is probably grape juice, pause and think about what it cost Jesus for you to be able to do anything that I'm talking about. And my suggestion is it's not just when you do communion. It may be when the Spirit prompts you. It may be when the Spirit says, you know, all that stuff that old bald guy was talking about, maybe I need to look at some of that. And when he does, I want you to know, God is not sitting in heaven, Kurt's opinion, God is not sitting in heaven like this. You know how he's sitting in heaven, I think? Come on home. Come on. Yes, of course you can start over. Did you really blow it back there? Yes, you did. And it's a major mess. But I still love you. And you're still my child. And you can start, start over where today is the first day of the rest of your life. Well, that's all I got for you today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, I pray now for my brothers and sisters who are gathered in this room. I pray for those who don't know you yet, Lord Jesus, and I do ask that you draw them to confess Jesus is Lord and, and uh, seek to follow you the rest of their life, maybe pursuing baptism or whatever they need to do to publicly declare Jesus is Lord. But Lord, I pray for those of us who have done that. And for some of us, it's even a memory years ago when we confessed Jesus is Lord and we were baptized. I pray now that you would show us that you are a God who allows us to start over. You are a God who gives us forgiveness and grace. You're even the God who will help us clean up the mess that we made. And you're the God who will be with us and guide us as we think about how we spend our lives, what we do with all of our lives. When we read your word, when we gather with other disciples, when we worship, when we confess sin, when we are strengthened and blessed. Father, I pray now that you would take anything that was of you that is a seed, a divine seed, and that you would plant it deeply in the hearts and minds of the people gathered in this room. And I pray that they will bear fruit that remains for your kingdom 
anticipating that day when they hear you say, Lord Jesus, when you say to us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus.